Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's episode number 23, and I'm so glad you're here. It's been a, an interesting week. Um, to say the least. I've just had a lot going on both with work stuff and some family stuff um, as a person in a very rare position of being in my 30s with five living grandparents. Um, Needless to say, that is not a permanent situation. So dealing with some family stuff and just really admiring my mom for how gracefully she is handling everything. Um, and yeah, so that's on my mind. And I also just decided randomly that I was going to draw a card, a collective little one card reading for all of us. Um, for me, as I'm sitting here recording this intro and you, as you are listening to this, And what do you know, I drew the High Priestess. So I'm sitting here looking at my cat on the ground who is sitting in almost the exact same position right now as the High Priestess card from the Wild Unknown deck. I'm pretty sure she is a little tiny tiger High Priestess. Um, But the High Priestess card, if you're not too familiar with the tarot, is really about deep intuition femininity, receptivity, dreams, all of that goodness. So really your inner divine, um, that place from which you have such deep knowing that is often easy to miss when we are stuck in the world of ego who is screaming at us 24-7. So whatever that's worth to you, a high priestess, consider what that energy might be inviting you into as you listen to this. So one of the things that I wanted to share, a couple things I wanted to share with you before getting into the interview, I did not mention on the last episode, the first episode of season two, but one of the big things that I have been doing in the past month that's been different is I was trained in early December in Transcendental Meditation, or TM, and I don't want to, like, make any grandiose statements of, like, oh, it's changed my life. Now, I might be saying that in six months, uh, but even now, even when it's just been about five weeks, I am definitely meditating way more consistently than I ever have. I haven't missed a single meditation yet, and they recommend two 20-minute sessions a day in silence. And before doing this training, I could not have imagined myself sitting still in complete silence for like even 10 minutes was hard. With guided meditation, that's a little bit easier, but in complete silence, I get that like crawling out of my skin feeling. So um, that's really one of the reasons why I was looking forward to doing the training. And if you're curious, you can check out the link in the show notes. I can't remember the website off the top of my head. I'm sure it's super simple, um, like tm.org or something, but I'll check it. I'll put it in the show notes. And, um, you know, obviously don't get any kickback from them, but I I definitely recommend it. It is an investment. They do kind of a sliding scale income-based thing, and it's not cheap. But when you consider that you're you're sort of gaining a meditation teacher that you can sort of call on and ask questions to whenever, and if it's something that becomes a huge part of your self-care regimen and um, building greater mindfulness when you're not in meditation and patience and all of the things that mindfulness brings along with it, then I think it's totally worth it. It has definitely already been worth the cost for me. So just wanted to share that with you guys. And if you have any questions about it, uh, feel free to email me or DM me. Um, another thing that I am excited about earlier today, I or just earlier this afternoon, I was on a 
branding call with a branding consultant coach person and an assery from brand up and uh, I was feeling pretty fancy about myself <laughs> my word of the year for 2019 is pro and for anyone who is familiar with Stephen Pressfield's work or if you're not again I will put some links in the show notes um, I am just I love his concept about how the difference between being an amateur and being a pro in your life, in your work, in whatever the pursuit is that you are going after, it doesn't even have to be your job. Like he gives a great uh, example in one of in his book, Turning Pro, which it was kind of expanded from one of the chapters in The War of Art, which is uh, really well known in sort of the creative entrepreneurial space. But the example that he gave was a friend of his who had never played golf and like really, really wanted to get really good at golf. And so she got all the gear. She was showing up and practicing like very consistently and thoroughly and she sucked, but she kept showing up. And of course, it was only a matter of time before she got pretty decent. And if she had approached it like an amateur, then it might have taken her like two or three years to get as good as she got in a matter of months. Um, so anyway, that's a concept that I am really trying to live into is being a pro. And so that's, oh, hello train. I don't know if you guys can hear that. That is really what I want to bring to my life and my work this year. So having this call with this branding coach and I just went and archived like 90% of my Instagram posts because I'm going to be creating that channel really intentionally moving forward. I'm just really excited. So that's really fun. And other than that, um, I think that's about all that I want to talk about in the intro today. So let me tell you about our guest for this episode, Paquita Pollen, who I worked with a little bit when I was working in residential treatment. We overlapped just a bit and have kind of stayed in contact with her through the yoga community here in Nashville. Shocking, she is a therapist and a yoga teacher, but we get into a really different kind of conversation than I've had on the show before. So I'm really excited for you to hear it. Um, we talk about mental health in the African American community and why she loves Marvel Comics so much and how those two things kind of overlap in ways that she hadn't even really um, connected in her mind before. So I am excited for you to hear this interview and let me tell you a little bit more about Paquita. Paquita Pollen is currently a pre-licensed professional counselor and doctoral student in counselor education and supervision. She is a registered yoga instructor, and she's passionate about connectedness, authenticity, and all things love. In addition to her many roles, she's working hard to further develop her yoga business, One Love Yoga Nashville, and plans to establish a private practice primarily serving African-American males experiencing mental health symptoms, within 20 2019. Paquita aspires to be a trailblazer as a future counselor educator and supervisor in the betterment of mental health treatment and services for individuals of racial and ethnic identity. So as you can hear, she's kind of a badass. I hope you enjoyed this interview and I'll see you on the other side. Paquita, thank you for coming to my office. My pleasure. So yeah. happy to be here. I say that with like this ridiculous smile on my face because um, I put the wrong address in the <laughs> Google Calendar invite. So she texts me a little bit ago and she's like, um, are you by like the VA? And I'm like, shit, what did I do? <laughs> so I look and I'm like, I put absolutely the wrong street entirely. I put my suite number and I just texted her back. Hashtag unmedicated ADD. <laughs> but you were so sweet. You're like, I'm flexible. I so. am. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you were just saying, because I maybe knew that at one point, but forgot. Um, you grew up here in Nashville. I did. I was born and raised in yeah. Nashville. I was born at Baptist Hospital. Nice. Um, I've moved in different areas, like lived in like Murfreesboro, Smyrna. I went mm. to MTSU cool. for undergrad and things like that. But I am a Nashvillean. I love to travel, and it just seems like a good place to come back Yeah, to, you yeah. know, because so many people come through and to and away from Nashville, and so I just... Yeah, feels like home. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so... Yeah, and did you always know that you wanted to be a therapist? Um, no. I, 
and I, I did not always know um it probably came end of sophomore of college mm-hmm. um I was having like my own like kind of personal things and I remember just having like this breakdown like and I remember just like writing to this day I cannot find that notebook but I know I wrote at least like 10 pages yeah and I remember just feeling like kind of alone in that and I like the next morning I woke up which I I say it's a god thing I woke up the next morning and declared my major for psychology and I've been going ever since right you don't know how to stop going to school (laughs) yeah I don't know how to stop going to school um and so therapy all of this was kind of a unexpected path for me but the right path Mm -hmm. for me in so many ways yeah and you're kind of at an interesting space in this field because you you're doing like direct clinical work right now but that's not necessarily where you see yourself right right so tell us a little bit about kind of like with your doctorate that you're working on and we'll get into like your dissertation and stuff but like what is your what do you envision for yourself in the future so I really love teaching um and so in some ways I'm like oh I probably should have went the more educator route you know (laughs) but there's many different paths that lead to you know our purpose um so I want to teach I want to be able to train and support and mentor um therapist I want to supervise so that I can ensure good client care and um advocate for the profession overall Mm -hmm. you know like I really see myself being a person that kind of like it's like oh like I know we've always done it this way but have we considered this um and multicultural awareness yeah I really want to kind of from like presentations and publications and workshops and things like that really bring um my kind of oomph and flair and creativity mm-hmm. and me being a woman of color bring all of that to it in a way that um, I think would be really good that Absolutely. I think sometimes is missing from our field. Yes, so much. And like you were just saying that you envision your future office being like, you know, beautifully Afrocentric. Yes. I'm like, I can't <laughs> wait to see it. Um, and I just wonder too, like, I feel like this is, there are so many questions that it falls into that like hard territory of you shouldn't be the one having to educate people. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and, and I hope that I am sort of in a space where like, I'm, I'm always open to learning more about people's direct experiences. And like you said, the, the multicultural awareness, like the education needs to be out there, but also um, like I, as a, you know, cisgender, white woman, et cetera, um, I have to be willing to put in the time and to be willing to be called in if I do screw up and, like, ask the wrong question, ask ask it the wrong way or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So I guess I wonder, too, like, with that being, the multicultural awareness being something that you do want to be a focus of what you bring to the field, like, how how do you conceptualize, like, yes, I want to do this, but also, like, not being tokenized or any of that which is things that I mean in some ways I'm still kind of figuring um that out and I know like closer to the end you know when we close we kind of talk about you know what's the point Mm -hmm. and so I'll be able to maybe speak to Mm -hmm. that a little bit more um but I I think it's 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 kind of my assignment that I've been given you know and I definitely don't want to be tokenized but I also want to bring that to it to say like you don't have to know everything but also you don't have to be like extra super sensitive and you know and scared and it's more about like cultural humility and treating people like people you know like oftentimes in class and I've had a lot of education now when we're talking about multicultural like it's kind of it doesn't feel good to feel like you're talked about um, different from everyone else. Mm-hmm. So yes, there it, we should consider culture and things that we do, but how do we consider that and treat people like they're people? Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's kind of what I want to do and be able to create that space so that we can talk about some of those things that may be uncomfortable for some people to say. say. Yeah. You know, because if someone does screw up, you know, it might not be, you You might not want to tell anyone mm-hmm. that, you know, and 
I feel like I'm very comfortable for people to say like, hey, this is what I said. And I can be like, Val, you cannot say that. (laughs) Like Val, like, no. And, you know, and just be able to break it down and be able to educate you in a way so that you prevent, you you can prevent it going forward. But also so that you can educate other people as well. We all, we all mess up. Yeah. We all mess up. And I, I just, yeah, I really appreciate, like, your your perspective on that. And I also appreciate that, like, every person is allowed to have their own perspective. Like, you you might be a little more open to, like, those teaching moments mm-hmm. than some other people might. And that's totally fine for them, too. Like, right. that, Absolutely. that, you know, everyone's going to have their own kind of comfort level and their own boundaries with, with that and how open they are. And I, and I love the phrase cultural humility what do they what do they tend to call it in school like cultural competence or mm -hmm, cultural competence cultural sensitivity um cultural humility is um not assuming that you know everything about people's culture and realizing that there are things that you're not going to know yeah about people you know so it's one thing to be sensitive but um just because I'm black doesn't mean that you should be sensitive to certain things, you yeah. know, because what if I was raised by white people or what if I have a big Hispanic family or, um, and culture is so multifaceted, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, so it's more about cultural humility, not feeling like, you know, more than I do or you do about someone's culture. Yeah. And I think that term, is even gosh I can imagine in the past couple of years um thankfully things have been more in the spotlight and uh I imagine some of the terms that are being used are changing because even cultural competence yeah it just feels like really so you took one course and you're gonna call yourself culturally competent what does that even mean exactly with which cultures and (laughs) And which part of me like are we talking about my socioeconomic status are we talking about my sexuality are we talking about race um culture really is just so multifaceted and I think that um my opinion in some ways we've gotten so politically correct um and for me cultural humility kind of creates space to not necessarily have to be politically correct right or not like you said not so scared that you're gonna step on a landmine and say the wrong thing that you just don't say anything or ask anything right absolutely Mm. absolutely so i know we've talked a little bit about your your dissertation work that you're starting to get into i would love if you would share a little bit about that with the yes. listeners yes so dissertation as you can see like i smile bright mm-hmm. um because it took me a while to get there mm-hmm. <laughs> um one thing i think um you know about me is that i'm very authentic and honest and i'm not going to pretend like i always knew what i wanted to do yeah. my dissertation on because I did not. You're like, I know I want a doctorate. I know I want to teach. I'm going to figure this part out later. Exactly. And at one point, um, when I first started, I said that my passion was to work with African-American men. I knew that. And then I found yoga. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about yoga and mental health. And then um, as someone with a unique name, I was going to talk about self-esteem and how there's power in a name and all of these things. And then, like, I just had a... A moment where I came back to kind of the core of who I am and what I the origin of why I started it so my dissertation the hope um, which I will start in May is um, surrounding african-american males experiencing mental health for dissertation more specifically depression mm-hmm. um, there are to this day still misdiagnosing and um, not getting the proper treatment, so to speak, because of said misdiagnoses mm-hmm. um, of African-American men as recent as, you know, 2017, mm-hmm. um, 2018, because there are cultural differences in the expression and the symptomology of African-American males who suffer from depression, ADHD, anxiety, mm-hmm. PTSD, and those things. And so um, my hope is to kind of delve more into understanding the symptomology of depression among African-American men. Um, What are African-American men doing now that that in ways that are they coping with it? And then what can we as clinicians do to better streamline treatment services um, 
for African American men mm-hmm. experiencing these symptoms and um, disorders. Yeah. So when when you say it's pretty common that they can be misdiagnosed, what are they being diagnosed as? So this is what is crazy to me because yeah. the biggest one that I saw, and um, it eludes me the article that I just read, but I'll be happy to give that to you. Um, but the main one I saw was schizophrenia. Wow. <laughs> Which I laugh because I don't know how you get um, <laughs> schizophrenia from dep- you know from yeah. depression. Yeah. I don't know if it's kind of um, erratic behavior or um, just the clinician's interpretation of yeah. what's being said. But like to me, that's very um, scary because schizophrenia is another one of those diagnoses that has a huge stigma mm-hmm. attached to it. Um, right, and not only stigma, but like if that's that's a very serious diagnosis. And so if you get that diagnosis, it's like, you know, not that you can't live a meaningful life, but it's like, all right, this probably means for you likely medication the rest of your life, possibly a number of hospitalizations. Like, you know, that's that's a very intense diagnosis compared to like if it actually is, say, depression and anxiety together or depression and PTSD or, or more complex trauma, that that could be treated with, you know, a whole person approach and that person doesn't have to have that sort of image of like I now have this chronic diagnosis absolutely and then when we think about stigma and labels and what does the community attach to that you know and oh I'm not crazy you know and things like that which is uh, one of my pet peeves because individuals with schizophrenia are not crazy um (laughs) um, but you know that and then I think as a society we also see individuals with schizophrenia typically as dangerous or as a threat Mm -hmm. And so when you think about that, kind of with already the, um, I don't know how to phrase it, so maybe you can help me like clarify it, but I think that black men are already seen as a threat and kind of dangerous, Mm, you know, like there's kind of the climate right now that we're in is that naturally black men are perceived as threats and dangerous. So then when you attach this label there, it's like, how are we... um, compounding that Mm -hmm. you know and I want us to be able to just bridge that gap between um mental health the diagnosis the disparity so that we can really better support this population right another thing that I was thinking about with that is like I have to imagine that I I should know some of the numbers around this I'm sure there's great research out there and or statistics out there around like the percentage of of people who seek psychotherapy or or mental health services in general, I imagine has to skew to the female side, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and then among African-American population, I would imagine even more so. Absolutely. um, Because there's that, you know, even more potential stigma. Mm -hmm. and And then part of what I'm thinking of with that, like having worked with eating disorders for a long time, um, there, it was often that when when we would see a male who's coming in for treating an eating disorder or um you know some of the facilities that actually accept males at a higher level of care by the time they get there or the time they even reach out to anyone for help it is like it's severe because 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 of the stigma of like this is not a male thing absolutely so it makes me think that similarly that you know not to say that they are schizophrenic but that their depression or their ptsd or whatever might have reached a point that it is so severe because only then Mm -hmm. did they even enter kind of the mental health system absolutely absolutely and um you were absolutely correct about those disparities and how it's skewed which um, for me, th- in my research, also just finding out that, you know, African-Americans are 20% more likely than the general population to suffer from depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. PTSD, and these things. And so it's like we're more likely to um, experience these things, but least likely to receive yeah. treatment. So when someone takes that leap to make treatment, it's very, very important for us as clinicians yeah. to... Um, treat appropriately Mm -hmm. yeah and I think going back to what you were saying too about like that this this misdiagnosis is a big problem because it can also perpetuate um 
stereotypes around black males being dangerous, mm-hmm. like, and, and how you say, like, it's, you know, it's becoming even more so, like, in this cultural moment. And I'm just kind of, again, I'm, I wish I had a little wizard here who could just look <laughs> up studies for me on the spot. Right. <laughs> but um, I just, yeah, it makes me so angry because I'm like, yeah, maybe it's more right now, or maybe it's just that we're finally talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that all these, you know, police things, and and not to say it's, like, on the police 100% by any right. means. It's it's all the cultural, systemic right. um, racism kind of stuff. But, but, yeah, that it's, like, it's probably been happening for a much longer, you know, the whole time. It's been happening right. the whole time. Yeah. And, and now it's just, you know, there's it's getting more media attention, thankfully, and yet – even with that attention, things are not turning around as quick as they Absolutely. need to be. Absolutely. And, like, even just to add on to that, um, you know, me growing up around, you know, growing up around black men, like, I personally, like, I have never had a relationship with my father. Um, and so just going through all of those things for a long time, obviously trying to process that. But, like, now at this point, it's like something had to be going on, you know, for whatever happened you know and like I don't know the the details or anything like that but for me for I kind of just take this step back and look at it as like what is going on to preventing black men um, from being their best selves for being their highest selves and doing these things and I think so often it's things that are going on are not talked about Mm -hmm. and there's decisions that are made that do come with grave consequences but it's um I think about how different would it have been had um, whatever he was dealing with, you know, was, he felt comfortable enough to go to counseling or someone who could intervene on that and how different the trajectory could have been. Um, and that's kind of my personal thing of how I look at it, but I see it so often that it's not just um, they don't want to do it or that they're angry or yeah. that, you know, um their bums and should be in jail and like all of these different things like there's really something more there um and I had a co-worker once who always said sometimes it's not what you see is what you don't see mm. and I think that kind of drives with this as well it's like what are we not seeing that maybe we think that we've been seeing all along but maybe there's something that we haven't um uncovered or discovered yet yeah yeah that sounds really important, and um, I'm wondering, because I know that you mentioned that you're a big into Marvel superhero yes. kind of stuff, and I don't know why that's coming up Team right now. And, yeah, I'm just like, what is the connection between your love for that and the kind of work that you're describing? Well, it's one is the story. Like, mm-hmm. I love the story, right? Like, I don't know how much you are into, like, superheroes. I like um, it, but I'm only, like, I feel like if, if someone just, like, shut me in a, a cabin with mm-hmm. all the movies over, like, five days, I would love it. But I'm so, <laughs> you know, with both of us being sevens, I'm so like, I want to see this. No, I want to do these 18 other things. So then I just haven't watched a lot of them. But, yeah, I've, the ones that I have watched, I love. Right. But, like, yeah, it's, I would love it's, to. It's my thing. And, like, I think mm-hmm. it's very, like, I appreciate you, like, bringing that up because I've never actually really considered the connection. But one, I love that backstory and that resiliency, mm-hmm. you know, to when you look at all of their stories kind of um, closely, like, and I'll use Batman, even though he's DC and I'm Team Marvel, <laughs> I am still Team Batman as well, because okay. he's pretty, you know, badass. Yeah. Um, but, you know, his parents were murdered when he was just a tot in front of him, um, and being raised kind of by his butler and like all of these things and his processes and just the things that he did and was willing to do um, and to still kind of overcome and be able to use his strength and his resources and his power and his story and his struggle to benefit other people. Mm -hmm. Even when other people did not understand it, you know, to some he was a hero, to some he was a vigilante, but for him to kind of make sense of it all, you know, and kind of find purpose within that and to still be able to give himself to others. Like, I, to me, that's, like, the premise of, like, superhero movies, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I just, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Me too. And I just, yeah, any stories and I, being in, like, the golden age of television right now and just, like, the movies that are being produced, I, 
it's just incredible living in this day and age. And, and not to say, like, yeah, there are some movies from the 90s and the 70s and whatever that were, like, equally as, like, impactful yeah. and classic. But, man, story yeah. is just such a powerful way to, like, because not only is it fun, but there's all the different layers of meaning that Absolutely. it's, like, that, you know, Batman is a part of your spiritual canon, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and then, abs- and then just last year with Black Panther coming out mm-hmm. and just... Oh my gosh, I it love Black Panther. If you have not seen Black Panther, please go see Black Panther. Like, it's on DVD, it's on Netflix now. But for me, like, that was such a grand moment for all the things I just said kind of about, you know, Batman, but the representation. Mm-hmm. And representation matters so much. You know, and so for me, that was kind of a pinnacle because I'm like, here I am. I'm Team Marvel. I love superheroes. And then now there's a superhero that looks like me, looks like the population that I want to work with, you know? Um, Oh, girl, I could talk about Marvel and superhero movies and Black Panther and, like, all of those things, but... All yeah. right, we're going to change your dissertation. No, I'm just to, kidding. To superheroes? <laughs> you'll do something really awesome around it. Like, someday you'll lead, like, a group or something. Well, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Write a book. I've already been thinking, I'm like, ooh, I'm going to show this, like, for this class. Yes. And, you know, because creativity is my jam yeah. as well. Yeah, so weaving um, it into your teaching. Yeah, but That's Black awesome. Panther was a huge moment, just mm-hmm. that, and to be able to, like, celebrate this black man right like I mean there's lots of black men that we do celebrate I don't want to make it seem like they're all depressed and <laughs> sure of course <laughs> you know but just the, the celebration of that like the main character being a black male the director being a black mm. male like you know supporting actor like it's just that to me was invaluable I bet invaluable I bet. yeah I'm, I'm remembering the feeling of watching Wonder Woman in the theater, right? It's like, so I know a little bit of what that feels like. It's like, ha. Yes. Wonder Woman is is my jam as well. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I felt that too. And, like, my friends all called me, like, Wonder Woman, you know? And so, like, that's my theme. That's what I dress up as. And, you know, it's going to be my um, graduation party theme, which I'm already planning. So you make sure you're there. (laughs) Yes. Um, but yeah, it was very similar to that. Very similar to that feeling. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit more about your kind of spiritual background and, and path. Okay. Um, so I was raised as Baptist, um, which is a domina- denomination under Christianity. Missionary Baptist, rather. Shall I which I'm like, okay. Yes, it what is a lot that? Of- is that Southern Baptist? Because no. we're in the South. And it's okay. No, like, it's, I learned that's not the same thing. Which it is crazy because, you know, I grew up so much saying Baptist and then someone was like Southern Baptist and then someone explained to me what that was and I was like, no. No. Like, no. Like, very, very different opposite okay. ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a missionary Baptist church. Um, I identify as Christian. I still identify as Christian. But I remember, like, to this day when I love my church, um, growing up and just always feeling kind of like uh, – whoa like this is a lot you know like mm-hmm. missionary Baptist, oh it's lots of music but it's very like lively and very charismatic and so people can be shouting and like dancing mm-hmm. you know and all of these yeah. things um which i most certainly love um but i always remember like there was something like some kind of like little block from i'm like this is not how i choose to kind of praise and worship so mm-hmm. to speak Um, And so I always knew that, like from a very young age, I knew that, but it was what I knew. And I knew that there were things about it that I really, really loved and really enjoyed. And I still identify, you know, as Christian and follow the Christian faith, but it was something about the connection piece, if that makes sense. Um, And so then I stumbled upon yoga. And when I say I stumbled upon yoga, like it was like, oh, I'm going to try this challenge, and I have not stopped doing yoga since. And I remember, like, just feeling more connected to myself, which then made me feel more connected to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how I lump it all together now. You know, it's like yoga is my um, spiritual vehicle that helps me remain um, more connected with God, and I still go to church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, So it's been an interesting path because of just the intersectionality of being 
African-American female who practices yoga, who also believes in, you know, the Christian faith, Mm -hmm. but likes a lot of things of the yogic spiritual path and just um, finding where it feels comfortable, where those overlap to me and um, where they don't. And just sometimes feeling kind of alone in that. And not to say I'm the only one, but, you know, you have some African-Americans who believe that yoga is satanic. and um, Still. Still still a thing. uh Still. And of the devil. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is their absolute right to believe Mm -hmm. that, you know. But for me, I'm like, I know I believe in God. And I know I don't worship the devil. And I know this feels good Mm -hmm. to me. You know, and I know this helps me pray more. And I know this helps me... um, want to be more spiritual and be more um intentional about being in that space yeah when i'm interacting with others um so it's still unfolding it's definitely still unfolding but i think it's starting to um fit better and feel more comfortable with me knowing what feels good for me yeah because you know of course we know that um the yogic path and even if you're doing more than just the asana physical practice like even if you are taking in the more full path of yoga that is absolutely compatible with different religions mm-hmm. and and I mean, certainly we can honor the you know the indian traditions and and the, the lineages and the teachers and really have a respect for that but to know that it's also beautiful because i mean my belief is is that with most religions we're all talking about the same thing anyway so um so it really does like you said overlap and um and complement each other but mm-hmm. i definitely can understand how even if you're so it's like in in your church world it's like you know some people might be into it but some people are skeptical mm-hmm. and then in the yoga world it's like there's some christians for sure but then there's mm-hmm. also a lot of the like spiritual but not religious or whatever right. kind of stuff so like you know kind of finding your people within that and who get all parts of you absolutely absolutely and I mean it and too like um and I I think I don't know if it's just us being in Nashville (laughs) but also um you know I there have been times where I've walked into a yoga studio in a class and you know been the only black female in there and so sometimes also like kind of what we were saying earlier that like level of comfort comfort Mm -hmm. I was about to say comfortability that is not a word I've heard Um, it used (laughs) (laughs) um of that of like is this okay or you know just to be able to connect with someone and be like well this is kind of how I feel in this like what do you think about that um you know because there's some people with chanting like uh mantra which I like mantra but publicly and like in a big group like that doesn't always feel Mm -hmm. great to me um but to try to explain that and explain why sometimes can be difficult when others um, may be very pro, like you said, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm very spiritual and it's okay. And it's that, and I know it's okay, but it's still like this feeling in this little um, part of you that you want to kind of understand that maybe you don't fully understand. Right. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about how it goes back to the cultural humil- humility mm-hmm. thing, because I get that if we're like just picking and choosing and we're like, oh, I want my little Shiva statue, but like I don't know anything about, you know, because, and, and I struggle with that because I'm contributing to this yoga philosophy part of uh, a teacher training coming up and by no means claim to be an expert and I'm trying to bring in other voices. Talked a little bit about this um, on one of the interviews, but that it's also like just don't be a dick about it right like like if somebody's got good intentions and they're willing to be you know um called in about something or to be to like willing to go and and get more education or learning like that's where it goes back to just the it's people start to feel like they have to walk on eggshells. Right. Absolutely. You know, and I realize everyone's not, and there's room for all of us, Mm -hmm. you know, there's room for some that may want to do the teaching moments Mm -hmm. and all that. And maybe, and there's room for people who are like, you know, I'm going to be a dick about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's kind of room for all because everybody needs something different, but I definitely like agree with you, especially like, um, like, I love Ganesh, mm-hmm. and I actually did have a Shiva uh, statue. I'm just trying to sell it right now. Yeah. Um, because I feel like I've kind of graduated mm-hmm. from Shiva. and Cool. 
um, you know, but just my understanding and what it represents to me. Right. Um, and I think that cultural humility as well is also not assuming that I know everything about Ganesh or that I've attached some meaning to it yeah. that maybe you have attached to it mm-hmm. or this person has attached to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. And I think that just like the don't be a jerk about it is with everything, right? Not Absolutely. just with, with this. Like <laughs> I, I just brought up um, Liz Gilbert on the last interview that I did, or maybe it was, no, just my little intro um, just briefly mentioned uh, one of the talks I heard her giving recently. Are you familiar with Liz Gilbert? I'm not. Oh, she's great. Um, Big Magic. Look up her book, Big okay. Magic. It's so good. But she, so she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, and, okay. And right. You're yes. like, oh, I know that book. So the conversation was like, Rob Bell was asking her like, you know, so when someone comes up to you and it, and it's just always like, t- wants to talk about that, you know, what is that like for you? Or And she's like, it's great. You know, it's a movement. I'm a part of it and right. they're a part of it. And if someone comes up to me in the airport and is like, oh my God, I loved your first book. I'm not going to tell them, actually, Pray Love was my fourth book. <laughs> right. like, I'm not going to be a dick Absolutely. about it. Right? Absolutely. And that's just, I don't know. Just right. the way that she says things just really sticks with me. And so I just love that example of like, just this the need that we have I get when it's about deep things that it's absolutely can be worth correcting people for sure um or offering another another idea but in general in life like we don't have to just walk around trying to be right all the time absolutely I mean I think one thing one of the um oh I know you can help me out with this because I don't want to get it wrong but one of the namas or Niyamas. Niyamas. Niyamas or yamas. I can't remember which one it is. I think this is a yama, though, but please correct me. Asteya. Asteya. Asteya, and which is non-stealing, mm-hmm. right? Like, don't take what's not yours. And what I loved about my um, yoga teacher training or just our understanding of it was that also includes things that are not tangible, mm-hmm. you know? And so, like, don't steal people's joy. You know, yeah. so if you come up to me and, like, oh, my gosh, I heard your podcast. Like, I love Black Panther, you know, but actually, like, we don't call him black. We call him black. Uh, and, you know, and, like, I'm excited about it. It's, like, was it necessary? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. if you're that excited about it, like, is it necessary for me to be, like, oh, actually, like, right. no, that's not, you know, what we do yeah. if it's not necessary yeah exactly I definitely um agree and concur with your sentiment of like you don't have to be right all the time right let people be happy let people have their joy right (laughs) yeah oh that feeling too of like you know that feeling when you're really excited about something and you tell someone about it and and they have a reaction maybe they don't even say anything that's like a jerk you know, mm-hmm. but you can tell they're just like, they don't think it's a good idea or something. <laughs> right. And just the wind out of your sails. Oh, that's it like does. one of the worst feelings. You know, and like, I mean, I think, um, and that can be scary, like on small things, mm-hmm. right? Like something like that, like a book or movie that you're excited about. But also like um, feeling that way with me and like wanting to study like, uh, you know, African-American males mm-hmm. and knowing the stigma and kind of some of the, um, a roadblocks that I'm probably facing, you know, and for someone to be like, well, you know, that's going to be hard to do. Why do you want to do that? You know, you why sure? do you want to do that? <laughs> or, you know, then you have to um, think about this and make sure you set your boundaries and, you know, just all of these things. And it's like, I, I, I want to be gracious with people. And I think that's more Brene Brown, right? Like mm. the best assumption that we can possibly make of people. Um, but even that that fear of someone kind of like knocking the wind out of my sail, um, knowing how passionate I am about this, and then for someone to come and be like, well, you know. Right. And it's like, yeah, I kind of do, but I'm still excited about it. And like, is this necessary for you to come and tell me this? Right. It's like back to that, just like lift each other up, lift, man. Yes. Let's lift absolutely. each other up. You know, and if you can't, if you can't lift me up, just leave me where I am. <laughs> You know, just, just uh, let me float right here. That's like, going to be like the quote. If you can't lift me up, just, just leave, leave me. me where I am. <laughs> just leave me be. I love um, it. And so we yeah. need, we do need all stripes, you know, not that I'm saying like, well, some people shouldn't be a dick, but other people should. But we, we do, like I'm thinking about um, even activism and how there's different, different schools of thought. Mm-hmm. Like there's... Um, 
showing up for racial justice Nashville has like one sort of stance in how they want to do things. And then there's Nashville Organized for Action and Hope that's based in like a different, like the Gamaliel model. And they have a different way of viewing things and like coming together more um, black and white. Whereas like with this, it's like white people, you stand back and be on the sidelines. Like I think there's validity and value in both. Right. And both are getting things done. So we don't, you know, need to be like, well, they're doing it wrong. Right. Absolutely. Because, you know, and um, we were talking about something or age and we're talking about how that's relative. And for me, I think right and wrong is relative. Some things, absolutely, there sure. is a hard, Murder. this is wrong. Yeah. Yep. Most right. of the time, though. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the t- right. Because it means Antonio Brown. Murder? Eh. Right. Probably you know? a pass on that one. <laughs> right. So there's lots of things, you know, abuse, something that causes someone harm that, um... That was not warranted, I guess is a good way, you know, of kind of saying that. Right, right. I get that. And I remember in one of my classes, we had a professor who said healthy and unhealthy. Mm. And since then, which was probably like 2012, 2013, like... I kind of I try to replace right and wrong with healthy and unhealthy, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like you may do something completely different than I do, but for me, where does that fall on like unhealthy and healthy? Yeah. If it's unhealthy, and by that I would probably define it like who are you hurting? Are you hurting yourself? Right. Are you hurting other people? Um, is it like a lot of negativity kind of surrounding that? Yeah. Um, then it's like, oh, like, okay, like maybe, you know, how do we fix this? How do we move this more from a more place of um, unhealthy to mm-hmm. healthy? Right. If that makes any totally, sense. Totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think of helpful, unhelpful, like right. especially with our thoughts. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter whatever that thought you're having about yourself. You can argue to me to your blue in the face that it's true and Absolutely. that you're, you know, unsuccessful or whatever, like people want to say about themselves and their self-talk. But is it helpful? If it's not helpful, probably, you know, finding ways to get unhooked from it and focus on other stuff is good. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that is more empowering and that is the kind of language and kind of stance that I like to take. Because if I say, you know, feeling unsuccessful is wrong, where is the room to kind of grow from that or change that, you know? And it's not wrong. It's where It may be where you are. Mm-hmm. But like you said, how is it getting you to where you want to be? Yep. And what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I like that. So as a teacher and future professor, yes. is there anything in particular that you're just like, I really want people to know this, whether it's about the mental health stuff or the cultural humility stuff or anything else? Like, is there any, like, just message that you're like, if I could, everyone in the world would just hear this one little, I mean, not to put you on the spot, right? You know, it right. might be like, um, I don't know, yellow is the best color. <laughs> it is the best color, though. Purple is the best color. <laughs> is that thought helpful? Uh, right? <laughs> Sounds a little absolutist. You know? um, but yeah, so I don't know. It, there doesn't have to be anything, but I just kind of wanted to offer space for like anything that you feel like is important to share that hasn't come up yeah like I don't I don't know I think mm-hmm. that um I don't know is kind of where I am because I do feel a little put on the spot not that you Good. did it intentionally Good. like that's I did. okay you sometimes <laughs> need that um I don't know I just think that you know with teaching with cultural humility with mental health all of this is emergent you know, and I think that sometimes um, the nature of emergence can be um, beautifully chaotic. I use that a lot. You know, it's great because we can be ever changing and ever fluid and different things like that. But it can also be stressful that it's always changing. Right. And so for me, like if I had to highlight anything, it's just kind of defining or playing with that relationship that you know I have as a teacher that I have as a mental health therapist that I have as a future professor and all of these many roles right and what does my relationship with emergence look like Mm -hmm. and how do I navigate that um so that I'm not you know rigid but so that I'm also not um being um impactful Mm -hmm. right because I think that sometimes when things are always changing it's hard to really notice your impact. Yeah. So I think right. that would be my, my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I think that it, it reminds me of just how, how fast, like, even the news cycle moves. And I think you're right that, like, sometimes if, if something doesn't get enough 
really time, attention, focus, because it's just move, 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 move. It's changing. Um, we miss things. Right. So, and yet there is a beautiful, like, we do have opportunity to, um, I like the phrase, ready, fire, aim. Mm-hmm. But, like, sometimes you just got to launch. You right. got to go. You got to go for it, whatever it is. Absolutely. And there's opportunity to adjust and change as you continue to go along. Right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, Paquita, what is the fucking point of any of this (laughs) oh my gosh i knew that that question was coming and so i played around with it a lot and um for me you know it's about showing up and you may be alone you may be afraid you may be unsure but doing it anyway because there are other people that are counting on you to make it Mm. to me that is what the point is yeah which is like built into that is community and connection. Absolutely. If I, part of me showing up is because other people are counting on me. Um, Absolutely. There's someone yeah. out there counting on me, counting on you, counting on our listeners yeah. that are waiting for us to make it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're counting on us to make it. And in some ways that can feel heavy, but in some ways that can feel very um, purposeful. Yeah, very purposeful. Absolutely. I'm thinking, you know, probably 99 point whatever percent of people can relate to that. They're like, yeah, I know, you know, my mom or my whoever, like, they're counting on me to continue showing up. And for that, like, 1% or less, maybe, I don't know, if there's anybody out there who is listening who's, like, feeling so isolated that they're like, no, actually, I don't think anyone's counting on me, first of all. I think you might not be correct. Right. <laughs> right. Um, is that helpful? Yeah, is that helpful? <laughs> but also that there's so much opportunity for connection. So even for people who are feeling a lack of connection in their life right now or they're feeling a little isolated in whatever kind of life situation or maybe depression or other things that they're going through, that there is there are people out there who want to know you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Very well put. Yay. Thank you so much. Yes, for thank coming. you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And you can find the show notes and past episodes over at wonderwelltherapy.com slash podcast. So any links, resources mentioned in the episode, information about guests, all of that good stuff you can find right over there. Also, if you're not already a subscriber, you can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Find me on Instagram at Val K. Martin. That's V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. So you can tag me in your screenshots listening and I can give you a shout out. And there's also a link there in my bio to review the podcast right from your phone. It takes 30 seconds and it really helps me out. It helps people find the show. See you next time. And until then, keep asking the big questions.